It's important to understand what that word redeemed means. Because so often, I know in my, my own self, even in, in, during the week, we can feel that instead of being redeemed, we've been rented. That, you know, God goes to the little red box machine and he checks us out for a little while, but man, because our life gets all messed up and everything, he takes us back. No, we're not rented, we're redeemed. That word, amen. That word redeemed means purchased. That means purchased out of slavery and bondage to someone else. And we have been redeemed. We have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever let the enemy try to convince you otherwise. Don't let him get away with that. You have been redeemed. You have been bought with a price. You belong to Jesus. And by the way, nothing can take you out of his hand. Nothing. Oh, Jesus, we are amazed by you. We are blown away by that fact that we are redeemed. Lord, that you stepped out of heaven, became a man, lived a perfect life, shed your blood on the cross to redeem us. Lord, it's, it's too much for us. It's too much for us to, to grab a hold of completely, but oh, Lord, we receive it, and we thank you. And Lord, as we now spend some time this morning in your word, we ask as always that your living word would go through us. That Lord, it would not be just some hour that we spend in, uh, gathering together and then go on about our day unchanged. Lord, change us. Use your word to change us. To prepare us more and more for the race that is set before us that we are to run. Bless our time now. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Take out your Bibles, if you would, and open them up to Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, left it at home, or don't, maybe you don't own a Bible, if you would, there should be in a seat close by in front of you, one underneath the seat there. Go ahead and grab that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, take that one home with you afterwards. It's important that you have a copy of God's living word that you're in every day and allowing it to penetrate your hearts and change your life. So Hebrews chapter 12, we continue our study through this amazing book. Picking up verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Therefore is one of those words used often to transition, but also to tie together with the previous thought, what he's been talking about. And if you'll remember over the last few weeks, we've been going through Hebrews chapter 11, where in verse 1, he defines for us what faith is, that it is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then for the next 39 verses, he gives us incredible examples of men and women of great faith throughout the history of, of, of the Bible. Now, we didn't do this just as a great history lesson. He uses this word, therefore, to tie it in. There's a, there, there's a reason we did this, because there's something that we can now do in our lives to apply it in our lives. There's a reason for it. And he goes on to use this metaphor of running a race to describe the Christian life that is laid out before us. 
running a race. How many, how many runners do we have in here? A couple? How many, how many used to be runners? A couple more. How many of you have ever driven by somebody running? Uh, okay. That's, that's where I fit in. And it, it, it always strikes me whenever I'm running by somebody who's out running, it never looks like they're having a very good time, does it? And it's interesting because this word that we have here that's race, that he defines for us, it can mean a battle, it can mean a struggle, it can mean also the place where that battle or struggle takes place. But because he uses the word run, that's why we know he's referring to a race in this metaphor. And the word race that's translated there is the Greek word agon. Sound familiar? Where we get our word agony. And I see that in the faces of a lot of runners sometimes, right? And the, the point I want to make with that, though, is it is difficult. It is grueling. It is, it, is, it is painful at times as you're running, but there is a benefit to it, or nobody would do it. There's a benefit to it, not only for you physically, but also emotionally. You get the adrenaline going and a lot of things. But understand, again, because this is the word that's being used here, it's not some casual race. It's not the picnic race, the three-legged race, the wheelbarrow race, the carry an egg on a spoon race. That's not the kind of race we're talking about. That's not agony. Well, for some... But that's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about a grueling race. But far too many people, far too many Christians make up far too many churches that take this Christian life that we are to have, this race that we are to run, way too lightly. We had a, a gentleman sharing with us yesterday at the men's breakfast that talked about that, about just the casual nature of Christianity today, how we've just kind of sat back and let the world just do whatever it's, it's doing. And that can permeate into the way that we run our race, that, can, that we live our lives. Lukewarm. Jesus spoke specifically about this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, so that you are, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is serious business, this Christian life, this race that we are to run. And we need to take it seriously. And Paul uses this same metaphor of running a race in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Again, not some casual half-hearted effort. Run so that you can win. You, should, you have no business entering a race unless you have a desire to win the race anyway. So this race that we're in, we need to run it. We need to run it with the attitude that we are going to win. Now, building around this idea, this, this idea of running a race, I want to look at five elements, five things that any, anybody entering a race needs to know and understand about the race. First of all, you need to know the rules. You need to understand your rival or your opponent. You need to understand and know certain requirements for competing in the race. You need to understand what the rewards are. 
But most importantly, you need to understand what the recipe is for victory in the race. So we're going to look at those things, and our, our text for us this morning breaks, us, breaks that out for us. So first of all, we need to understand the rules, and he tells us that we are to run the race that is set before us. What do I mean by that? Well, the, the fact that we are all called to run the race lined out before us is that just like in any other race, you get all of the racers all lined up at the start line, the guy pulls the trigger on the gun, it, you have to run the course in front of you. You can't just everybody run his own direction. Everybody runs the course that's laid out ahead of time. You can't be running along in the race and saying, hey, I know this area pretty well, and I know the track goes, or the, the, the route goes way up and around over here, but if I cut through here, I could get way ahead of everybody. You do that, you get disqualified. You need to run the course that is laid out ahead. And the same is true with us in this race that we are to run, our Christian life. And we don't get to pick the course, by the way. We don't get to design the course. God does that. God picks the course. He lays it out in front of us. And I know that it's difficult at times. I know that there are times in this race that God has laid out before us where we say, I'm too weak. I'm too tired. I can't continue going. You say, my limitations, my weaknesses don't allow me to keep running this race, but we need to understand who it is that's designed the course in front of us. Again, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. God who loves us. The God who, by the way, is at the finish line already. He's the one who's laid it out for us. He understands our limitations far greater than we do. We give up way too soon. He understands all of that. And we need to embrace our weaknesses in the race and use those to our advantage. How so? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says that he is content with weaknesses. Are you content with your weaknesses, the things that you're weak in? The things that you lack strength in, are you content there? Paul said he was. I'm content with my weaknesses. I'm content with the difficulties that come. I'm content with the trials, the insults, the distresses that come my way. How could Paul be content with that? Because he understood something we all need to understand. In our weaknesses, we are strong. Again, Understanding that it's not because we are weak that we're, we're weak because we're, we, we have strength in his strength. When we rely completely on him, Paul understood that as he ran his race. And we need to understand that. When we feel like laying down in the track and saying, I give up, that's when we need to lean heavier on the Lord to carry us through. It says that let us run, plural, all of us, every one of us, all of us as Christians have a race to run, our own race. We can't get busy focusing on other people's races. We need to run the race that is set before us individually. We will all be accountable for our own race. Well, understanding the rules, we also need to understand our rival, our opponent. It says that, that Paul says to run in such a way that you may, might, may win. It also says, again, a race would indicate that there are opponents. There are winners and there are losers. Understand who our rival is not. It is not each other. We are not running against each other. But so often, that's what we do. We're, we're running along and we're looking and we're saying, man, that, that person is so far ahead. Look at what they're doing and, and what's going on there. I want to be running. I want to be with them. Or we can get the other way and say, huh, well, at least I'm not back there. And, and running, comparing ourselves to other people. We don't get to pick our course. And we also don't get to pick our opponents. 
Because again, God knows us. God knows us all too well. He knows that we would do one of two extremes. If I was, I, I haven't played basketball in a long time, but if I wanted to go out and prove my basketball skills right now and I was going to pick a one-on-one -on -one opponent, I would probably, knowing myself, I'd pick my 12-year-old son, Zach. Because <laughs> I'd feel really good about myself playing against Zach. And I could get a false sense of how I'm doing in my race by picking an opponent like that. Or God knows we can go completely the other direction and I could say, all right, LeBron, bring it on. And I could get totally discouraged as he dunks on me time and time again. No, we don't pick our opponent. Our opponent was, uh, is, is out there before us, and it's not us. It's not each other. Adrian Rogers calls our opponent the unholy trinity. The, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The external foe, the internal foe, and the infernal foe. The external foe, the world, the worldly system that is around us. The Bible tells us that we are not to love the world, not to love the things of the world. If we do, the love of the Father is not in us. That's a powerful statement. It tells us that we are not to be conformed to the world around us, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That The worldly system that is around us, that is our opponent in this race. Internally, our flesh, our old Nature is continually a battle. The, the, Bible, the Bible tells us of this continual struggle between our spirit and our flesh, and it, but it tells us very clearly that we are to crucify our flesh. And the infernal foe, Bible tells us that we don't struggle against flesh and blood. Our battle isn't against each other. It's against worldly dark forces, evil forces, Satan and his demonic forces. That is our opponent, and we need to understand that as we run. Well, thirdly, we need to understand the requirements of the race, and in order to do that, we need to understand the overall race of what it is. You've probably heard the saying said that the Christian race, the thing that we're running, is a marathon, not a sprint. You've probably known many people, and maybe you experienced this after you first came to the Lord. You took off of the gates running just like crazy, sprinting as you went. And Jesus used the example, the parable of, of the soils. That, but when things started getting difficult, when things started getting tired, when you're, when you're out of breath and you're just, it's, it's just painful to keep going, they quit. This isn't a sprint. It's a marathon, and it's interesting when you understand the history of the marathon. It dates all the way back to 490 B.C. There was a war going on between the Greeks and the Persians, and one very strategic, particular battle was taking place in the city of Marathon, and the Greeks won that battle. And a man by the name of Pheidippides took off running from Marathon to bring the good news that the victory had been won all the way to Athens. And the story is told, he bursts through the doors and he says, we won! And he fell over dead. Gave it all. Everything he had to run with that message all the way to the end. But in that, we understand that there are several things about this race that we're running. It's not on flat ground. There's going to be hills. There's going to be bumps. There's going to be trees to jump over. There's going to be all sorts of stuff that is in front of us. And it's also not like the marathon that we see on television, the Olympic runner carrying the torch, hey, look at me. There's going to be a lot of times of obscurity. There's going to be a lot of times of, of aloneness when you're out there running in this battle. It's not, it's not a, a glory to me type of thing. 
It's not how you start this race. It's how you compete and how you finish. And we're given some very important things that we need to look at. And when it comes to the requirements in our text, it says, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. This involves self-inspection. This involves us looking at ourselves and looking at how we are running. And it tells us that we are to lay aside two things. First, encumbrances. And second, sin. Encumbrances. Understand, this is different from sin. Encumbrances are those things that in and of themselves aren't, aren't, aren't harmful, aren't bad, aren't a problem. But the word encumbrance means weight. It means bulk, mass. If, if you've, you've seen the runners, the guys that always seem to, to win these things, these long-distance marathon runs, they're dressed all the same way. Very tiny little tank top, runner's shorts and shoes, that's all they got. That's it. The lightest possible clothing, the lightest possible shoes. Now imagine if you're going to run against this guy and you show up and you come to the start line and you got big old honking, hiking boots on and you got, you know, parka on and a big backpack full of stuff. Say, well, I want to be ready for whatever might be out there. Gun goes off, boom, they take off and you're plodding along. The Bible tells us that we are to put aside those things. Set them off the side, all of the weight and the things that, carry, that would weigh us down, that would, that would sap our energy, divert our attention. Now again, these things can be in and of themselves and in the right place, not, not a bad thing. We all need hobbies. We all need things to just kind of unwind and to do. But when those things start getting in the way of our run, that's when they become problems. If, if our hobbies overtake, you know, I don't have time to go do this, this Bible study this night because I got you know, I, I to go practice my putting or whatever it is, and all, that, that diverts it. Then it's becoming an encumbrance. If, again, family time. You got, you have, it, it's, it's great. We need to spend time with our family. We should have our kids involved in different things. But if all, your whole week is spent driving junior to baseball practice and Sally to piano lessons and all of this kind of stuff and your, your family becomes fractured because of that because you've got a thousand different places to go, can't come Wednesday night to church to Awana and to come to the Bible study because we got practice and you know we, we miss church a lot because we got soccer games on Sunday morning and different stuff going on, it's become an encumbrance. Even ministry can become an encumbrance. It can become where we get so busy and involved in different things and all become activity-focused that we get away from the Word of God. We get away from quiet times of prayer and reflection. It can become an encumbrance. And the Bible is clear to us here that we need to set that aside, lay it aside, not put it in a wagon and pull behind us, set it aside completely. Now, the only way that we can really understand how to do this personally is through prayer. God, is there anything in my life that has become an encumbrance? Again, we can justify a whole lot of things by saying, is it really that bad? I mean, when I come home from a long, busy day at work, I, you know, I, I want to just kick back and turn on the Diamondbacks game and just watch that. And is that really that bad? No. But if you haven't had time all day long to spend any time in the Word, any time in prayer, any time with your kids, any time fellowshipping, gathering together, that type of stuff, then it becomes a problem. Yeah, it does. 
We all need to examine ourselves and have, have, have the Lord speak to us in those areas. Well, and it, it can be tricky. It can be, and that's why it takes some time and some focus. But we get to the other area, sin. That's, that's not gray. That's black and white. Sin is the same word that's used 174 times in the New Testament, talking about missing the mark. God says, don't do this and we do it, or God says, do this and we don't. Sin. And it tells us that sin so easily entangles us. It gets our feet all tangled up and we can't run the race that's set before us because we're all tangled up in sin. And bottom line, again, coming off of chapter 11, talking of sin here, sin starts with unbelief. I don't believe what God said. I believe that what I'm going to do is better. The sin of unbelief. We have to shed that in order to run this race of faith that is laid before us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, continuing where we left off a little earlier, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it in, to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Self-control. Self-control, the, the, the gift of the Spirit that we have, the fruit of the Spirit, we need to exercise that. We need to lay aside every encumbrance and every sin that so easily entangles us. But it goes on to say that we then, after we do that, we need to run with endurance the race that is set before us. That word endurance is a fascinating word. Hupomone is the word in Greek. And it means to persevere. And reading through the definition of the word in the, in the Strong's Concordance, listen to what it says. It says, the characteristic of one who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose by even the greatest trials and suffering. And again, when we're talking about running this race, not swerved, not taken off course by, by some trial or difficulty in front. It's, it talks about a deliberate action to stay on course no matter what comes. That's how we are to run. Running with endurance, running with perseverance. Again, as we transition from chapter 11 to chapter 12, it says, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also. So after we spend that time looking at ourselves, we can look now to this example that we have of these great, this great witness that we have in these people laid out that we spent so much time going through in chapter 11. The first thought that I have when I think of this, this great crowd of witnesses surrounding us is this big grandstand, this stadium of all of these past heroes of faith watching us. That's the first thing that comes to mind, but it's not biblically accurate. And I thank God for that. Because again, when I look at that, I see two big problems with that. First of all, it would be incredibly intimidating to me to run my race under the scrutiny of all of these others who have gone before me. Now, I understand they're, they're, they're glorified now and, and everything, so they wouldn't be, but it would be intimidating for me. I mean, I, I'm dating myself a little bit when it comes to track and field events, but does anybody remember Edwin Moses? 
back in the late 70s and early 80s. This guy never lost a race, and it wasn't even close. The 400-meter hurdles, this guy just glided around the track and left everybody way behind. I was amazed by this guy to watch him. Now, I can imagine if I'm lining up to run the 400-meter hurdles and Edwin Moses is there watching me, that would be pretty intimidating. And not only intimidating for me, but it would be depressing for them. All of these saints up there watching us, and there's no depression in heaven. So I'm thinking this isn't, exa- this isn't what he's talking about. They're not lining the stands watching us. They're not spectators. They're examples. They're examples for us that, is, that are recorded for us, for us to look to, for us to, to glean from. They're not witnessing what we're doing. They're bearing witness to the faithfulness of God. If we run as they ran by faith, we can expect the same results that they had. Paul says just as much in Romans 15. It says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through perseverance, that word hupomone again, through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The encouragement of the scriptures, the perseverance that we draw from that gives us hope to run the race that's laid before us. He goes on, now may the God who gives hupomone, perseverance and encouragement, grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How does this work? Bearing it down, being real practical about this. Well, you're running your race. And it seems to just be this long, grueling race. And you're not seeing any fruit in the ministry that you're doing. You're, you're, you're sharing your testimony. You're talking to people, friends and family. And no one seems to be taking the message. You feel like you're just talking to a bunch of smelly animals. Well, we can look to Noah and say, you know what? He stayed the course. He kept after it over 100 years. And God was faithful to deliver him. Maybe your family has completely turned on you. You feel like you're totally in in a dungeon, that you're a slave to your situation. Well, we can look to Joseph, who, who stayed faithful to the course that God laid before him, and he made him a ruler, just as he promised he would. But he remained faithful to follow through, even through all of those difficult times. You're doing what's right. You're doing what's right and honorable and glorifying God within your family or in your workplace. Yet your, your family, your friends, your co-workers throw you to the lions. Daniel. We have a great example in Daniel who never wavered in his faith, trusted God in that. Maybe the enemy is coming at you from every direction. You ever feel like that sometimes? Every direction you turn, here he's coming at you, just getting blasted from all sides. Well, we can look to Samson who picked up the jawbone of a donkey and in the power of God slew them all from every direction they came. Lieutenant General Marine Chesty Puller, famously quoted one time, said, Men, the enemy is to our left, the enemy is to our right, the enemy is in front of us, and the enemy is behind us. There's no way they're getting away from us now. I love that. (laughs) That's the attitude we have to have. When you're getting blasted from every direction, there's no way they can get away from us now. Bottom line is we all need motivation. We all need to know it can be done. 
because it is a grueling race. There are times when you get tired and you feel like just sitting down in the track and giving up. And we need that motivation. It can be done. And we can look to these, these great heroes of the faith and we can say, they did it. I can do it. If I run the same way they did, by faith. Did you know that prior to 1954, pretty much everybody thought it was impossible to run a sub-four-minute mile? But in 1954, Roger Bannister did it. Today, you want to com compete in the mile run, you better be able to break the four-minute mark or you don't even get entered. The world record is 17 seconds faster. But somebody had to do it first to prove it could be done. And we look at chapter 11 and we can say, the race has been won by others. They, they finished their race. I can finish mine. Understanding, though, that it's not, it's not like us compared with them. We shouldn't be comparing our races with them. If we're going to compare anything, we need to compare our God with theirs. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, let's quickly look at the reward. The reward for this race. I think more than anything, we need to understand what the reward is not. You are not running for your salvation. That race has already been run, and it's already been won. Jesus did it for you. You are not running for your salvation, but so many people do. They feel that this race that they're running, they have to do it well, or they will forfeit their salvation. As we talked about earlier, you've been redeemed. You've been paid in full. Your salvation is assured. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verses 7 and 8, the end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord himself, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He's not running for his salvation. He's running for this crown of righteousness which Jesus himself will give him. And if you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that awaits you too. This, this crown of righteousness. We don't get to pick our course. We don't get to, to pick our opponents. And we don't get to pick our prize. We don't get to pick our reward. And I thank God for that. Again, he knows us. He knows all about us. He knows that we would settle for something way less than what he has for us. He knows that we would say, all right, Lord, I had a really good day today. Bless me right now. Give me my reward today, just like the prodigal son. Give me, my, give me all the inheritance right now. He knows us. He knows that, that we're the kind that would go to those pizza places and spend $100 on game tokens to win a $1.50 prize. He knows that. That's why he doesn't let us pick our prize, our reward. He has a crown of righteousness waiting for us. We don't know what that is. That's what the author, that's what Paul talks about. That's what, that's what the apostle John talks about, these crowns. Because there's no other way to describe it in what we have. And we don't know what it is, but I can tell you this much. When we finally find out, we will never have wanted anything more in our entire life. Nothing will even be a close second. And that's our reward for running the race. Well, I think most importantly, when we look at all of these things, 
really the bottom line, what we all need to know and what we all need to understand is what's the recipe for victory? How do we do it? How do we run this properly? How do we run strong? How do we finish well? Well, verse 2 of our text, Hebrews 12. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fixing our eyes. It's, it's the only time this phrase is used in the New Testament. And it means to turn away from all other things and to focus completely on him. Now, I just said that we are to spend time looking at ourselves to, to make sure that there's no encumbrance or sin weighing us down. And I said that we should look for motivation to these great heroes of faith in the past. But now it says that we're supposed to take all of our attention and focus it on him. Yes. We need to take a quick glance at ourselves. We need to make sure that we're not carrying stuff we shouldn't be carrying. There's no sin wrapped around tripping us up. Get rid of that. Lay it aside. For motivation, real quickly, we need to look to that in the past, knowing it can be done. But as we run, we fix our eyes on Jesus. It tells us that he is the author of our faith. That means the leader, the one who has gone before, who is ahead of us. He is a leader not only in title, but he's a leader by example. I, I love the fact that the author says, fixing our eyes on Jesus in his humanity. The mystery that, that we will never be able to, I believe, completely understand is Jesus, fully God, yet fully man. He, he, he set aside some of his his wonderful power as God, not giving it up, but setting aside so, so that we could relate to him. I look at this and say, this is an incredible thing to, to grab a hold of because if I'm running a race and I'm supposed to fix my eyes on him, but I fix my eyes on him as God, how could I run a race like he did? But we see that he had to go through the same things that we did. He had the same rules. He had to run the race that was set before him because only he could. He's the only one who could ever have run that race because he was perfect, because he lived a perfect life. No one else could run the race he did. He had the same rivals. By the way, the Bible tells us that he crushed the head of the infernal foe. It tells us that he overcame the external foe, the world. What about the internal foe? Since he, since he didn't have sin, since he was sinless, well, he didn't have to battle that himself, himself. But in that, in him, we have victory in that as well. Galatians 2.20, the second half of the verse says, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's how we do it. We live it by faith in him. He had the same requirement, faith. Bottom line, that's the requirement of this whole thing is faith. How so? How could, how could God have faith? Well, as Jesus, again, he said over many times through this, he said, I don't do anything except what the Father tells me. I believe completely in what, what, God, what God the Father is doing and directing in, me in. And then if you'll remember the night before his death, when he was in the garden, he prayed, 
Father, not my will, but your will be done. Surrendering in faith completely, totally to the will of the Father. And that is the only way that we can run the race of faith, is by surrendering completely to the will of the Father. Now, it tells us that his reward, is, it's laid out for us in verse 2, is the joy that was set before him. The joy set before him is when he finished his race and he rose again from the dead, proving that he had victory over, over death. His eter- the joy set before him was that you and I would spend eternity with him. He, he redeemed us. But also, the the pleasing of the Father. He sits down at the right hand of God. The joy set before him. That you and I would be with him forever, in his glory, seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, not only the author of our faith, but the perfecter of our faith. The finisher of our faith. Again, as he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished It's finished. He ran his race and he finished. Now, as we look at this as to how it applies to us, I know as I'm wrestling through this and studying through this, I'm thinking, okay, he did that. What does that mean to me? How does that help me run my race by fixing my eyes on him, the fact that he finished his? I can, going back to using this whole Edwin Moses idea, he could, he could come out here, move to Surprise, Arizona, and dedicate full 24-7 of his time to training me, get, telling me what to eat, how to train, and everything like that to have me run the 440 hurdles. And I can guarantee you one thing, I'm not going to the next Olympics. He could spend all the time he wants with me. I'm not going to get there. What's the big difference? Paul said in Colossians, this amazing mystery, Colossians chapter 1. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's the difference. Jesus doesn't just come alongside us as as an encourager, go ahead of us as a great example. He is in us as Christians. The first half of Galatians 2.20 that I I read earlier, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's how we run that race. He's in us. He is providing his power within us to run the race. So let me ask you, how you doing in your race? How you running? This this race of faith. Are you running strong? Is it is it is it is it a struggle? Is it is your is your faith weak? Do you want stronger faith? Do you want to, to run stronger? Well, here's the key: exercise the faith that you already have. We have all been given a measure of faith, every one of us, and we need to exercise that. Our faith grows as we use it. A.W. Tozer has this great quote. says, God waits to be invited to display his power on behalf of his people. You run the race set before you with the faith that you have, and you say, God, I need you. I need you to show your power as I run. And he says, I can't wait to do it. If you're struggling in your race, I would encourage you to go back through what we've talked about today. Is, it, is the problem that, you, that you're not following the rules? 
that instead of running your race, the race set before you, you're more concerned with how other people are running their races? You wish you were running a different race? Remember when we were finishing up chapter 11, we talked about there were those that were, that were hiding in caves, that were sawn, being sawn in two, going through all of these difficulties, and you're saying, that describes me. But I look out and I see these other people in their races, and they're having their children raised from the dead, and they're having all of these things happen as outlined for us. I want to be over there. You run the race that's set before you. God knew it. God lined it up for you. And if you're, if you're struggling in your race because you're focusing on others, stop doing that. Focus on your race, and you won't struggle as much. Maybe, again, your, your, your rival is other Christians. They're your encouragement, not your rival. Maybe the, 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 the faith is the problem or the encumbrance is the problem. You're carrying around too many things. You're, 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 you're carrying around all of this, this stuff that you're trying to accumulate, wealth and, and all of that. Do you know, I, I read this the other day, fascinating. A ton of gold weighs the same as a ton of lead. And if you're trying to accumulate as much gold as you can to, run the, to keep on going and that's your goal, you're being encumbered by that. And by the way, Gold and lead are worth the same in heaven. Maybe the big problem is the reward that you're running for. Again, are you running for your salvation? That race is already done. Maybe you're focusing too much on yourself and on others instead of on Jesus. That's where our focus needs to be. Well, lastly... There's one other thing that really kind of trumps them all. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not even registered for the race. You're not even in the race. This, this race that we run is the, is the race of the Christian life. And if you're out there and you say, well, wait a second, I, I haven't done that, but I'm running a race. There's people all around me running. Yeah, there are. And they're running on a wide path, and it leads to destruction. The Bible tells us that narrow is the way to salvation. There's only one way to get on that path. There's only one way to get in this race, and that is to surrender your life to Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't compete in this race without being entered into it, and that's how you do. And if that's you and the Holy Spirit is prompting your heart here this morning, I, I pray that he is. And you simply just need to confess that you are a sinner. You need to recognize that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as everyone in this room has. You recognize that, you repent of your sin, which means you turn from your sin and you turn to Jesus and you receive the free gift of salvation. It's a matter of doing that broken before the Lord in your heart. There's no magic formula. You simply go before him right now and you say, I don't understand everything that this guy is saying up there, but Jesus, I know I need you. I've been running this race and heading the wrong direction my whole life, but right now, I give my life to you. I trust in you and you alone as my Savior. I give you my life. I make you my Lord. I want to run a race of faith following you. Trust in him. Well, I've already gone over. Gang, we're called to run the race set before us with endurance, perseverance, I know it's hard. I know it's grueling. I know it's agonizing at times. But keep running. Keep running. 
We have great examples of those before us, and we have the author and perfecter of faith in us, forging the path ahead of us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this word that you've given to us. I am so blessed by just the, the analogy that you give to us in this. Running a race. Something simple. Something that we can understand. Yet, Lord, so powerful. So real. And, Lord, it's our desire to run the race that you've set before us. Lord, keep us focused on that. Focused on you. Lord, if there's anything that is weighing us down, that's encumbering our run, any sin that is entangling us, Lord, reveal that to us. And Lord, right here, right now, right where we sit, we lay that aside. Lord, we can't wait for the reward that you have for us, the crown of righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Give us greater faith that we would be able to run with endurance the race set before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.